Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now, back to your regularly scheduled Retrotube. Welcome at last to a new episode of Retrotube, the podcast where two best friends force each other to watch the television shows we ordinarily wouldn't from the 60s, 70s and 80s. This week, we're leaving 1880s Arizona, Mr. Werp and the Doctor's Toothache behind, and heading straight to mid-70s London to follow the adventures of Scotland Yard's Flying Squad, the toughest, most no-nonsense policeman London has ever seen. They're the Sweeney son, and they haven't had any dinner. ran for four series and spanned 54 episodes during 1974 to 1978. It starred Gorton's sexiest export, John Thor, as Detective Inspector Jack Reagan, a displaced Mancunian copper who is completely by the book and will batter anyone who says otherwise, and Clapham's own Dennis Waterman as Detective Sergeant George Carter, an East Londoner who knows the streets better than anyone. While the delightfully named Garfield Morgan makes regular appearances as Reagan and Carter's long-suffering boss, Detective Chief Inspector Frank Haskins. The show is perhaps best known for some cracking car chase and shootout scenes, some of its most famous quotes such as, get your trousers on your knit, not to mention an absolutely iconic theme tune written by Harry South. I've been quite a fan of The Sweeney for a good few years now, Adam, but have you ever seen the show before? Did you have any idea as to what it might be like? And did you enjoy the episodes we saw today? (laughs) Before we start, uh, can I make a request? Yes. Can you do this whole episode with a Cockney accent? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, go on, mate. Go on. (laughs) Oh, honestly, when I spent loads of time down London when I was, when I had like my my wild misspent youth. When you were um, a copper. Well, yeah. uh, In the Met. (laughs) I was was known as Spev Van Dyke. Is that? <laughs> uh, oh dear, how embarrassing! Anyway, <laughs> no, you I carry liked on. It. I thought it was very good. Um, I had always, in my mind, the Sweeney and the Professionals was the same show, and I'd never really thought about the fact that they had two different titles before. It's just whenever <laughs> anyone mentioned the Sweeney or the Professionals on separate occasions, they kind of funneled down into being the same thing in my mind. Right. And I've seen The Professionals fairly recently because they used to show it on ITV4, but it turns out I've never actually seen The Sweeney. Oh. And would you believe, furthermore, and you'll be shocked, can I shock you? Please shock me. I've never actually seen anything with John Thor in it. What? How? <laughs> I'm fairly sure, apart from like playing small roles in films, I've never seen an episode of Morse. Oh, my goodness. And I think the only thing I've seen um, Dennis Waterman in is uh, On the Up. Oh, I love On the Up. I used to like On the Up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that was a good one. That was a good He's one. On we the obviously Up. Won't, we obviously won't be covering that because it's 90s and also we've both seen it. But yes. Yes. Uh, it is a good one. But you've got Joan Sims, you've got Sam Kelly. What more could you I want? I know. Exactly. That was literally the words I was about to say. <laughs> I always get a bit baffled by Dennis Waterman, <laughs> which is a sentence that I thought I'd say. <laughs> but like everything that he's been in, everything I've seen him in, which has been quite a few things over the years, he's always like this cheeky, cockney, chappy type. And then you hear him speak in real life. I mean, yeah. he's the 
poshest man alive. Oh, really? I don't think I've ever heard him talk. Is he as posh as I am? He's posher than you. Makes you sound common. Hello, I'm Dennis Waterman. There's a lot of that. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Weird. But I, it is so, it's so, so weird because you'd like you expect him to speak like Dennis Waterman, but he doesn't speak like Dennis Waterman. It's weird. I have another question for you because I'm... I'm a bit of a compulsive human jukebox. Um, yeah. Whenever I hear the, the name Sweeney, do you mm. know which song gets stuck in my head and it's not the one that most people will think it is? No. The Sweeney, darkest delight in the Jackson. <laughs> Isn't that true? Oh, no, i never going to ha- be able to hear Reedy again. <laughs> I just have that going around my head. <laughs> <laughs> Sweeney, uh, oh, there was. I, I've never, I've never actually seen an episode where either of them were groping with a stoker from the coast of Kuala Lumpur, though. So no, you haven't watched the right episode. No, that's true. But there is a song, of course, a more famous song which does mention the Sweeney. Do you know which one it is? I do not. It's "Cool for Cat" by Squeeze. Cool, no, "Cool for Cats" by Squeeze. The plural. Wow. The Sweeney's doing ninety because they've got the word to go. They get a gang of villains in a shed up that he throw. They're counting out the fivers when the handcuffs lock again In and out I once were with the numbers on their names It's funny how the missus always looks a bleeding same And meanwhile at the station there's a couple of likely lads Who swear like as your father and they're very cool for cats They're cool for cats I feel so boring because whenever anybody mentions the Sweeney All like, all I ever get in my head is The Sweeney, the Sweeney so you were telling me before you started recording that as you were watching, uh, you you were increasingly gripped with dread that I would hate this show. Yes, I was. I was. Because, I mean, we kind of know the kind of shows that I watch. Mm. And they're all quite silly. And they're all quite glossy. And this is quite gritty and a little bit more slow moving. I mean, it does have its moments of wonderful silliness. Fisticuffs. But the the more I was watching it, the more I was like, oh no, what have I made Adam look at? Oh no. I mean, I'm not ashamed of loving the Sweeney. It's great for me. But I'm just like, oh, (laughs) he's going to hate it and he's going to hate me. Why though? Why do you think I would hate it? Uh, Bearing in mind, I used to watch The Bill. You were in The Bill. I was in The Bill. Never mind, you used to watch The Bill. I had to watch it. Yeah, you were you were an evil baddie in the bill. It must have been the doctor. You're under arrest on suspicion of burglary. It must have been the doctor. It must have been. I don't know. I just I just thought, oh god, it's going to be too boring. Um, <laughs> oh, he'll just hate it. So I'm really sorry in advance if you did. No, it's fine. I liked it fine. Oh. <laughs> You liked it fine. That's that's probably the most positive I I, I didn't even expect it to. <laughs> well, I used to watch Professionals, which isn't a million miles away. It's gritty police procedural crime drama. They're a bit more runny-shooty. I mean, this is quite runny-shooty. There's a bit of running and shooting going on. There's not a million miles between them, so... Yeah, it was, it was a, a decent, fast-paced police procedural. And you say it's slow-moving, but I think it's actually a lot of... It's a lot quicker-moving. Because that's actually one of my notes, was that it's compared to more modern police procedurals which tend to be a lot more meditative yeah this is quite this rattles along at a rare old pace oh they're doing stuff they they do do stuff there's very little moping around thinking no they they don't they don't bother thinking because they're always thinking not much of Suran Jones or Nicola Walker staring off moodily thinking about emotions there's no emotions in this it's, they're too manly for emotions apart from anger apart from yes fury and sarcasm is <laughs> if that's an yes. emotion there's there's an awful lot of sarcasm Rhinus. yes no it was good it was good, oh, uh, good. The, the two episodes were very different that we watched they were certainly the second one we watched it it's, it's quite a thing <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a thing we actually started normally when we watch shows that are multiple series um, we'll start with series one, but because of the guest stars in a particular episode of series four, I asked permission if we could start at the end, and you said yes because you're yes. a very benevolent chap. I am a benevolent dictator. Yes, you are. 
<laughs> you, ma- you made so, the correct appointment to come and see me. I did. You I filled did. out the paperwork. There was all of that. So, yeah, the two episodes we watched were Nightmare and Hearts and Minds. And I chose these two partly because they were they are really different. But also the I chose Hearts and Minds because of who the guest stars are. Not even going to beat around the bush there. There's a lot of guest stars to talk about. There are a lot in that episode, to be fair. But I chose Nightmare because it is kind of very different to any other Sweeney episode in that there's... There's a fantasy element. There's a bit of a fantasy element in it. And it's not like the the fantasy element is portrayed in a a parody kind of a way or, or a mocking kind of way. It's just presented without comment, which I think is quite nice. There's a particular sequence at the at the very beginning that when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I, d- I think Adam would really love this particular scene. Um, <laughs> so w- would you like to tell us what happens in this episode, please? So this episode of The Sweeney is set up where uh, there's a dream sequence at the very start. Yes. It's very 70s. It's very 70s. It's all, as 70s dream sequences must be, it's all fisheye lens and rattly music. Mm. And uh, it has the, the Who's Light show in it. Yes, that's exactly what beams. I put. The laser beams look a bit like the laser display. You won't get fooled again. <laughs> I mean, it might be. Did you know that the laser effects in Alien was the actual mm. Who Light show? No, I didn't. Yeah. So when they when they find the alien eggs and there's the kind of the the thin layer of mist with the laser shining through it at a level that is that is the actual won't get fooled again light show that's been borrowed. Well, you know, so it could well it, be the same one. It could well be because it was from the same year. This oh was yeah, from... so that was seventy eight, wasn't it? Seventy eight, seventy nine ish. And there's a piano with a gaping mouth on it, painted on it. There is. And then John Thor. Who puts a torch underneath his chin and screams? He finds a tube with a light in it, and he gets all ah. Gets it. Ah. He does. He does ah. not panic. No, he doesn't turn it. <laughs> he but then he's, <laughs> his his mouth goes all gapey, like Mister Quill and Mister Pen, or whatever his name is, in the um. I've forgotten. <laughs> right. As a Doctor Who episode, anyway, with people with gapey oh, right. mouths. He does that with the gapy mouth. What's it called? The the foamy one. It's not called the underwater menace. It's not called the underwater menace, but it's about an underwater menace, and it's got all foam and and there's two men with gapy mouths. One calls Mister Quill, and the other's called Mister Pen or Ink yes. or something. I don't really know. Mister Oak and Mister Quill from Fury from the Deep. They do gapy mouth, and so does John Thor. He does gapy mouth because he's found a tube with light in it and. Uh, this lady wakes up screaming with horror she because does. that's exactly how people wake up from nightmares. <laughs> hey, hey. It's alright. Everything's alright. Hey, you were having a bad dream, weren't you? Oh my god, Jack. Yeah. Come on, it's alright, Malcolm. It's alright, Malcolm. No. You're in danger, Jack. Terrible danger. Yeah, well, I'm not now, am I? That is how people wake up from nightmares. Screaming and howling. And then she's she finds that she's woken up next to a naked John Thor, so obviously she doesn't stop screaming and howling. Best day ever! (laughs) Oh, that that wasn't why that wasn't the angle I was thinking. uh, (laughs) Oh right, okay. Each to their own. He's a bit dadsy. He's not, though, you know, because he was, well, 19, 1978, so he would have been, he only would have been the same age as me now, so... He, I think he would have not, been younger than you. Well, he may have been, yeah. He looks about yeah, 50, he but been. he's, yeah, he's, he he's 30. 36, yeah, so actually he would have been a bit of a toy boy, frankly. So, no, yeah, not, not for her at all. <laughs> he, Not he's for a her. toy boy for you, but he looks about fifty. He's ten he years looks, younger than I am. He looks easily fifty, but he, he looked does. he looked fifty when he uh, played Sergeant John Mann in Red Cap, and he was twenty three. So blimey! <laughs> <laughs> and also Dennis Waterman, who in the second episode we watched, is ref- I'm sure they referred to him as the boy. Yes, and he looks about forty, and and he he's actually uh, thirty. Yes. 
So these guys are smoking far too much. They are. They really are. Well, although Regan doesn't smoke in this episode until no. right at the end because because of his girlfriend. Yes, he's, he's given it all up, up because smoking. he's dating a, a bit of a hippie. Yes. Posh. She's, she's very into... Um, Herbal tea. Herbal tea and tarot and astrology and that sort of thing. Yes. So she has this nightmare. She has and... this. So it's 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 not him. You kind of think it's him having the nightmare, but it's it's her that wakes up and goes, OMG, you're in terrible danger. And of course, he doesn't believe a word of it. No, he doesn't. He's like, oh. He says, don't I don't it. Adam and Eve it. <laughs> yeah. Again, the exact line. Yeah. Uh, he is obviously a little bit more on the sceptical side at first and just tries to reassure her that she's all right, nothing bad's happened. Then then we get the main titles, which is which is very nice. Yeah, sort of like through a kaleidoscope, isn't it? For some reason, the fourth, the fourth series has that as the opening titles. The first three series had like sort of a blue and white kind of sort of animated. Oh, is that sort of... Yeah, like very slow stop motion. Yeah, yeah. I can, yeah, I know though. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why they changed it for the fourth series, but they did. I quite like it. Uh, yeah, I quite like it. It's like that bit in Sapphire and Steel, you know, when they trapped the man in the prison. Oh yes, of course, yes. It's it's a kind of a prism for prism prism image, isn't it? Yes, yes. You're Nick Sunshine. You're going to prism. Then we meet some villains. We meet some baddies. It's all happening in the transport car. Is there anything more evocative than a villain in a donkey jacket in a transport car on 16mm film? Probably not. That's the most late 70s image you can imagine. It is. It's the most late 70s thing of all. And it happens pretty much every week in the Sweeney. Yeah, it's not the Sweeney if there's not a donkey jacket involved. That is true. It's in everybody's contract. Um, so the baddies are in this transport calf wearing their little donkey jackets mm-hmm. um, and driving and very flattering and hair. they're plotting their nefarious plans very loudly they're not <laughs> great at, pl- at plotting you know every- everybody's eavesdropping in thinking mm. I mean it's all it's business as usual in these tra- transport calves it's like Oh, yeah. There's probably several gangs of villains plotting nefarious deeds. Yeah, that was just the 10 o'clock crew. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they have to phone up ahead and say, can, can, can we have the 10 o'clock slot? It's a 10 o'clock slot free for loudly plotting. Yeah, they, they reserved the table. It's it's all fine. So they were all sat there plotting loudly, minding their own business, sort of. And they decided all they needed was a Dutch lorry driver. I mean, how we've all been there. Yes. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> some fella turns up wearing Michael Nesmith's hat. David Ellison turns up. It's David Ellison who played uh, Sergeant Beck for many years in Julia Bravo. Yeah, who's he's not Dutch, uh, uh, but that's <laughs> I probably quite for obvious. A moment from, he was, to be fair. <laughs> it's probably quite opposite from, uh, quite obvious from his uh, accent attempts in this episode. <laughs> Nay, guten tag. You forgot something, mate. The keys, you bastard. Nay. Not in time. Come on. Can't you knock out sea happen? Ah, sea goes in with Good moggy. Sorry. Keep pretty <clears throat> tiny. <laughs> oh, go on, George. Sorry. Uh, anyway. We, we started early. <laughs> we have. It's been, it's been, what, five minutes since we started recording and we're already... <laughs> Quoting from Hard Day's Night. Um, so they try and bribe this this lorry driver of no fixed accent into handing over the keys to the lorry, which uh, contains a shipment of cigars. If he doesn't hand over the keys to the truck, they're going to beat him up. The note says either a thousand pounds or a hundred days in hospital. Mm. Now that is a threat. How? Yeah, that's a very specific Ooh, threat. Exactly 100 days. I mean, if, he, if he'd been in hospital and come out after sort of like 96, I think he'd feel a little bit cheated. They'd be standing outside with their arms crossed, pointing back in. Back inside. 
Four days yeah. left. <laughs> they would. But he says no. He says nay, in fact. And then he runs out into the kitchen. They follow him. A huge fight breaks up. Mm. And he shoots someone. Shoots one of the bad guys in the head. Harsh. The baddie with the beard with, does some spectacular acting and shouts, He's killed him! He's killed Dom! No, don't shoot me! Um, that is genuinely that is genuinely the intonation. One thing I noticed about this Sweeney is that uh, you know when a character is going to get shot rather than just threatened by, with a gun. Mm. Because the character goes, no, no, don't shoot! Whatever you do, don't shoot! Yes! Whereas if they just put their hands up and go, oh, all right, then they wouldn't get shot. But it's just the tone of voice that they use. The person holding the gun thinks, well, better shoot them then. What are you doing? No! No, don't! Yes. So while all this is going on... Jack Reagan is wearing a velvet suit. Yes, he is. And why not? Because he looks damn fine in it. He looks very hot. He does. <laughs> I mean, he oh, you mean, oh, you mean, right, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, it's, it always looks cold in London, though. So it certainly does in the 70s, doesn't it? It does, it does. Uh, he's getting himself ready for work, and she brings him a cup of lemongrass tea in the most 70s glass mug ever. Beautiful looking thing. Uh, she explains that lemongrass tea has rejuvenating effects. Which yes, is nice. and it and it it, uh, it does. <laughs> it certainly does. Yes. She panics about her dream again at him, and hmm. uh, he distracts her with the with the rejuvenating aspect of his lemongrass tea. Yes, I, I feel we have a, a slightly different. We're coming at this from slightly different angles, but this repeatedly happens in this episode. And this, there's one thing I do yeah. not need to see, and that's John Thor getting horny. Yeah, we're definitely coming at this from different. This, this happens throughout. He's like, Whoa, I actually like not normally. I normally I get a little bit sort of ugh when there's like romance aspects in episodes of anything. Yeah. I do kind of, I do actually quite like it when Jack Regan's got a girlfriend, because I mean he's very very acerbic as a human, mm. but he's quite gentle when he has a girlfriend to her specific specifically, um can be quite silly. He's one of those blokes it's all show, though. Yeah. Because later on, he's just all being all manly again. But he he calls her a creature at one point. I'll see you now, can't you? Top London cops seduced by old food nymphomaniac. Pitiful. Creatures like her destroy homes, George. You think of the domestic bliss I'm saving somewhere by diverting her lust. Should be getting overtime for protecting the public. I don't think he means it in a nasty way. <laughs> I mean, creature's not necessarily a... A bad thing. It's just a living thing, isn't it? I suppose you know? so. <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't get offended by everything. <laughs> I can. And they do say how a dare, lot worse. How dare you say I can't get offended by everything? How I'm so offended. How dare I can? You can't take away my right to be offended by everything. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You go anyway. ahead and be offended. I'll I'll go ahead and not. You mind. can't tell me to be offended. I'll make up my mind whether I'm offended or not. Oh, for heaven's sake! <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I just I just <laughs> I just had a a message a WhatsApp right. message from my housemate saying, "How dare you say I can't get offended by everything." <laughs> <laughs> Dear. Yes, I know. I was just watching John Thor getting horny and just thinking, "You dirty old man!" But he's not old. No, he's only thirty-five. He can't be a dirty old man if he's not old. He's just a, a dirty man. <laughs> <laughs> so I explained to my mother he was a frightfully clean man. Um, <laughs> why? Why is this deteriorating constantly into hard days night? Come on, come on, Heather. <laughs> Yes, John Thor's got a hard day's night. <laughs> Why must you? <laughs> I finished you off for the day. 
away. (laughs) 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 I'm just not used to you being all finari. That's my job. (laughs) You you have that effect on me. I know. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I made the note here that it is much much faster pace than newer uh, the newer police procedurals. Yes, it's very it's nicely straightforward. But I like the newer police procedurals. I watched the first series of um, Unforgotten, which is very good and very gripping, and lots of twists and turns. But it is yes, there's lots of deep emotional stuff and these deep dark secrets that have been buried and then they're uncovered and then all these things bubble to the surface and you know it's mm. very complex so it's nice to also watch something that's quite just straightforward it's just a couple of geezers solving some crimes shooting some people down the pub for fags and beer that's what happens every single week pretty much yeah so then jack arrives at work and uh things have been happening and he's very chipper when he when he arrives there unsurprisingly uh george is very grumpy just because you haven't had a smoke for six days, there's no need to carry on like Charles Atlas. <laughs> Some of the banter in this in this show, no matter how many times I watch the episodes, just still cracks me up. I really, 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 really love the dynamic between John Thor and Dennis Waterman. Like you can you can tell they actually liked each other. Yes, it's, it's a similar format to the professionals. The professionals aren't quite so middle aged and paunchy, uh, but. It's a similar format that it's the two cheeky chappies and then their grumpy boss. I mean, if it's a formula that works, it's a formula that mm. works. You can't, yeah, can't grumble too much. There's a little, there's a little moment slightly later on. They're talking about the robbery that's happened. That the fact that um, the truck was stolen, but at the same time there were two other guys who were there. Yes, one of whom's been shot. He's gone full Mister mm. Orange, except he's not. He's quite. He's fine. He's all right. He's been shot in the stomach. But he's all right. But he's saying, he's saying like, oh, well, don't take me to hospital yet because we got to... Because we've still got nefarious things to nefarious. Yeah, and they're unloading the boxes that they've stolen. And the other guy who's not been shot, he's rushing and the guy who's been shot's like, that's oh, fine, don't worry. It's no take rush. your time. It's take all right. Time. We're all right. I've, really, I've been shot in the stomach. But he's not even being sarcastic in that. He's not. He's, he's just being like, like, now, come on. We've got mm. all of the time in the world. All the time in the world. Don't panic, Keith. You've got plenty of time. He starts unloading... The, the guy who hasn't been shot starts unloading the lorry, starting with a box at the bottom. And I'm sorry, yes. but that's just asking for trouble. <laughs> it is. I feel like all it needed was Mo Howard to turn up and poke him in the eye. <laughs> I'd have watched that. I would have watched that. <laughs> <laughs> It's hilarious as well, because the stack's about 12 boxes high and he just goes to the one at the bottom and just starts tugging at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just basic physics. And thinking, there's nothing here that can go wrong. <laughs> this is this fine. This is all absolutely fine. Oh, dear me. Dear me. And speaking of professional ineptitude, mm. uh, there's a little bit later on. So the guy who's been shot has finally taken to hospital. Yes. Uh, but he's not in a good way. He's he's not. After all, it actually it was more urgent than he made out. So he's he's uh, in his hospital bed, hooked up to a heart monitor. The doctor just sort of stands there very passively, watching the heart monitor go bip bip and then stop. Flat lines, and he just kind of points to it. Good look, look, he's dead. <laughs> and he switches the heart <laughs> monitor off. He actually says that. He turns to the police, just turning up and goes, nothing I could do. He doesn't bother to try and resuscitate him. He doesn't go, oh, no, we're losing him quick. No. Get some adrenaline, get the heart pumps, just like, oh, look, oh, it stopped beating. Oh, Oh, well, that'll be him dead then. You won't get that in casualty. We find out a little bit later on, after that scene, Mm. that one of the cases of cigars that gets stolen actually has cocaine in it. Not cigars. It does, yes. And we know it's um, cocaine and not heroin because uh, they do, I think it's John Thor does the old heroin taste test. Yep. you got to dip the little finger in. Yeah. Go, um, num, 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 go, mm. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just try a bit more just to check. Yes. It's got a citrusy, notes of citrus, <laughs> oak. There's a, a, a sort of flora, it's almost rose. 
<laughs> That's not heroin. That's cocaine. Yeah. In fact, he screws his face up because mm. George is like, like oh, no. oh, is it Oh, H? no, don't like it. It's not and heroin. Like, oh, no, no, that's not heroin. Ugh, that's just cocaine. Puh, 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 puh. That's cocaine. Puh. Like if you feed a cat lemon, he did that face. Yeah, he really did. And mm-hmm. not not even a slight exaggeration there. It was... <laughs> I did think while I was watching it, I was I was reminded of our Man from Uncle episode. One of the baddies goes, the scent of bitter almonds, cyanide. <laughs> yeah. I, I I kind of would have liked that there. That would that would have worked. Yes. <laughs> and we still don't know why or how these Irish guys are involved with it all. Yes, there's a couple of Irish. We haven't mentioned the two Irish guys. Yes. Who turn up? They think they might be IRA, but it turns out they've got, been kicked out of the IRA for just being too naughty. They're too naughty for the IRA. That's how naughty they are. There are two sets of villains in this. There's the two Irish villains and then there's the London geezers who will get shot repeatedly. Yes, there's the cigar thieves and then there's the Irish guys. Yeah, so so the Irish guys are the main villains. The cigar thieves uh, have short work made of them. Yes, they all all get shot. They're not as tough as they think they are. They're not, they're not, they're not. The other bit we haven't mentioned recently is the dream... The dream, the dream keeps on coming back. The the premonition that that um, lemongrass tea lady has mm. when she wakes up from this dream about this this mouth drawing on the piano in her dream, mm. she does a drawing of it, and for some reason, I'm not exactly sure why Jack and George find gets cigar boxes with a leaf drawing on the front, and Jack thinks that the leaf logo on the top of the cigar boxes looks a bit like the mouth, which I can't really see. I'm so glad you said that too. Mm. Because I was like, where, where are you getting this from? Yeah. So they end up uh, doing their police procedural stuff, which leads them mm. to a remote farmhouse where a makeshift landing strip has been laid out. So the only thing for them to do is to stake out the farm. They're not going to wait for backup. They're just going to... The two of them is going to do it all on their own. They feel so brave and, embol- and emboldened because mm-hmm. George has had the foresight to bring them butties. Yes, ham or ham. Ham or ham. Mm-hmm. So Jack had ham. After, yeah. after they'd had a butty, they said, right, well, that's that. Let's go and confront these evil baddies. Mm. So they did. They did. So they the reason they've stolen this consignment of cocaine from the Dutch... Somebody else was going to steal it, but they've just smuggled the cocaine. Uh, they weren't the stealers; they were the smugglers. So these two smugglers, yeah. they're they're trading this cocaine shipment for some special new rifles with laser sights. Yes, they have this special sight on top of the gun, like a huge tube, which shines blue light out the front of it, and that makes it extra accurate. Yes, almost sort of like an automatic gun. It's just a little bit science fiction as well. So we've got we've got the Sweeney doing a little bit very sort of minor science fiction and this sort of weird predictive dream as well. So it's all gone a bit potty. It is a bit. But when they rush in to confront the baddies, Jack gets temporarily blinded. He does. For the rest of the episode, mind you, but temporarily. Yes. Uh, when this laser sight shines in his eyes and that reminds him of the dream where he opens a tube and bright light shines in his eyes and he goes, ah, and his mouth's all open and that. Exactly. So it's all coming true. All of these things happened, but were they coincidence? Was it a proper premonition? It never really gets explored. It's just kind of, this is what's happening and it's a bit odd. Make up your own mind. But it might just be one of those things, but it might not. Maybe it's all true. It's all dun, 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 dun. <laughs> So they get the baddies in the end all by themselves because mm-hmm. they're working on butty power. They are. <laughs> and the final scene is Jack in hospital with bandaged up mm-hmm. eyes. Triffids are outside. Yeah. George brings him in half a bottle of scotch and a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend is sat right there. And she doesn't really she doesn't say anything. She's a little bit disapproving, but she's not she's like, Do you know what you've had a bad day? I think he, he's if earned anybody it. deserves a cigarette, it's it's yeah. you right now. But she does say this is quite an incongruous scene, really. She says, smoking in bed is dangerous. And George says, everything he does in bed is dangerous. I, I, there are so many questions. How does he know? Doesn't Jack then say, oh, it's not me that's dangerous in bed, it's her. Uh, uh, and he she he looks... says, it's nothing compared to what she does in bed. Yes, that's right. And she looks delighted. <laughs> she <laughs> She's not at all delighted. embarrassed. I mean... <laughs> 
I mean, quite. <laughs> oh, and then he does. He lights up his cigarette, and because he can't see, he goes, "Oh, I can't taste it." Oh, bless him! <laughs> it's such a such a sad, poignant moment of hilarity. <laughs> Why can't he taste it? Because he can't see. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> I know. God love him. And, and it's edited so that there's absolutely no gap between him saying, I can't taste it, and the music kicking in. Yes. For you to go, what? Or there isn't like the Scooby-Doo, oh, 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 at the end. It just, I can't taste it. Banana. It's like, what? what? Hang on, what's that? You got a fag, George? Yeah, of course. Smoking in bed is dangerous. Yes, I know, love Everything he does in bed is dangerous. Not half as dangerous as what she does. Get your laughing gear around that. Can't taste it. Yeah. What do you think about the arrangement of the theme tune at the end? Oh, I didn't notice it. I wasn't. I wasn't. Um. I was. I think I was trying to figure out what was that. What had happened at the end. <laughs> It's a different arrangement at the end. Um, Why can't he taste it? Yeah, it's more like a kind of like slow lounge jazz kind of. Oh yes, thing. yeah. No, I'm aware. Yeah. I think I quite yeah. like it. I like a bit of slow I, lounge jazz. I like I like how poignant it is. And, and this is one of the things I do like about this movie. There are quite a few episodes where they don't get the baddie. Oh really? Yeah. Um, right. They are foiled quite a few times. Um, rather significantly, and it's all very distressing. But it's a nice, it's a nice sort of like twist on they always get the baddie. Mm. To it's nice that some, sometimes they don't because that's not how police things work, really. That's not how life works. It's not how life works. So they end up strolling down the road with their jacket over their shoulder like David Banner to sad music. <laughs> the pair of them. Yeah. That was episode. Yeah, that was that was fun. I I liked I liked how grey and grimy and grotty and unpleasant London looked in the late seventies. Yeah, I like that. I wouldn't want to go there. No, but it was good to look out from a distance. Yes, very much so. Very much so. So then, mm-hmm. after we watched that, we went on to the slightly more cheerful, but certainly more wacky mm. hearts and minds. Please, could you explain this one? This one is very wacky. It has the feel of a Jonathan Creek episode without the locked room mystery, but it's all a bit showbiz and strange, and there's some it's quite very showbiz eccentric characters in it. Most eccentric of all are the special guest stars. Special guest stars this week, Morecambe and Wise, which is very surreal. Yay! Not just Morecambe and Wise playing characters, but Morecambe and Wise playing Morecambe and Wise. Playing Malcolm and Wise, and actually the actual Eric and Ernie actually having a pivotal role in the plot mm. and doing some actual acting. Sort of. <laughs> I knew that the Malcolm and Wise episode existed, but yeah. I just didn't expect them to be involved. I just thought they would be there with like things happening around them and them having nothing to do with the story in any way, shape, or form. But no, but they're actually involved, aren't they? They really are. I mean, and you know, Eric saves the day. Spoiler alert. That is a spoiler. We're not even there yet. I know. <laughs> Please explain to us the rest of the the rest of the old thing. The rest of the old thing there. Um, what's going on with this? So this one involves a scientist played by Edward D'Souza, which is a familiar name, but I don't know what he's been in. He's been in stuff. He's been in quite a lot of stuff, and he's playing a scientist who has come up with a revolutionary heart pill. But it's a little bit complicated, this one. So the government has shut down funding on his research because they don't. there's been an administrative error, apparently, and they don't believe it, it will work. But actually, they do want the drugs because they don't want a foreign premier, we presume either Russian or possibly Czech. They don't want him to die of a heart attack because he's getting on a bit and he has a bad heart. So that it, And they don't like his presumed successor so they want to keep this guy around for as long as possible so they want him to have the heart pills but then some other baddies want to steal the heart pills to go to i think an arabic nation maybe yeah i think was the uh suggestion there 
But our man, uh, Mr. Busby, Professor Busby, he wants to go off to America with a chorus girl stroke comedy actress yes. uh, with the pills to make a lot of money using American research funding instead. Mm-hmm. And they're going to jet off together. Meanwhile, she is rehearsing a sketch with Morecambe and Wise because this is what happens. And <laughs> it's a bit complicated, but it it, it all happens. It is. It it does all happen. It starts off with burglary. So there's a flat. uh, He's a top scientist, but he doesn't live in... He just lives in a little flat. He does. One of the villains, the uh, Arabic villain, is uh, played by Jack Claff, who I only really know because he played one of the rebel pilots in Star Wars. Yes. This is Star Wars meets Morecambe and Wise. I mean, did you ever did you ever think that that would be a thing you would say? In a gritty police procedural. Because, of course. So then Jack and George go and make inquiries at the house and they meet the wife of the professor. Called Hildegard. Hildegard, that's a name for you, isn't it? It is, yes. She's played by Caroline Blakiston, who is more globally famous as Mon Mothma, leader of the Rebel Alliance. She is. Who turns up in Return of the Jedi too, and she's very saintly in that, and she proclaims things in a in a high sing-song voice. We've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Admiral Akbar, please. But in this, she's just perpetually horny. Yeah. And I can see that um, inadvertently I'm making you very cross with me. I really am trying to be helpful, uh, Sergeant, but um, Freddie and I, we lead completely separate lives. He's at the college during the term time, I'm at the clinic. Uh, we occasionally meet up during the vocation. It's very nice. We still stimulate each other intellectually, but emotionally, our only common interest is Wagner. And she has a friend called Ulysses. Ulysses, because of course she does. Friend in inverted commas, yeah. Hildegard has a friend called Ulysses. Yes, they're quite blatantly having an affair. They are, yes. But it's an open relationship she has with her husband. She is the wife of Professor Busby, who has developed the heart pills. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's why the burglars went in because they were looking for the form, either the formula or the pills themselves, uh, but obviously did not find anything. Yes, so she knows all about her husband having an affair with Laurel and Hardy Stooge. Now, who is it in this? Oh, I've lost track. Morkowitz, <laughs> actress. Yes. And he knows all about her having an affair with Ulysses and his small robot, his small robot called Nono. And I think because this is the late 70s, we're probably supposed to be quite shocked and titillated because Ulysses is black. And I think that's supposed to be a thing. Whereas now, obviously, you wouldn't really bat an eyelid. But it's like, oh, my gosh, her friend. And they go into his bedroom and listen to some very poppy sounding reggae. Yes, they do. They do. It sounds like a TV theme tune. It's not the most salacious rate. I think it's supposed to be. Oh, my goodness. Shocking reggae, but she's so middle class. She yes, she's so pasty. <laughs> Whatever will Admiral Akbar think? <laughs> it's a good question. I have obviously seen all Star Wars films. They're not a set of films that I watch sort of ad nauseum repeatedly. I've seen them all like a few times, but not tons. So I don't really remember her from that. However, she has been the baddie. Ooh. In an episode of The Champions and an episode of Vandal and Hopkirk. Oh, excellent. So I don't trust her. Yeah, she seems like a wrong one. Also should mention that um, Joseph Charles, who plays Ulysses, he was in Solo, a Star Wars story. He was. This, this is Star Wars alumni all over the place <laughs> in this episode. It's Star Wars and vaguely some more common wise. Yes. More common wise don't show up for the first 15 minutes. My favourite George quote in this episode is a little bit later on because they're talking about the uh political leader who uh needs that needs the heart pills and the guy mentions him by name at last (laughs) and george says is that the one with the dodgy strawberry (laughs) i missed that Come on. <laughs> oh, George. Oh, George. Oh, 
Oh dear. This has this has way more laugh out loud moments than the first one. Oh, it really it really does. So we have more more guest stars. Oh my goodness. So many more. Edward Hardwick off of Jeremy Brett yes. Sherlock Holmes. John Watson to Sherlock Holmes. Professor Busby produced some prototype pills in connection with his recent work on heart disease. The trials were inconclusive. Now, that's not strictly true. No, the pills had a remarkably favourable effect on a certain head of state, a head of state whose uh, state of health is of a consuming interest to Her Majesty's government. Should the unfortunate gentleman succumb, the regime which succeeds him will almost certainly be less well-disposed to the United Kingdom than heretofore. So whoever screwed the gaff with old Harry Greave, they were after the pills? I'm sorry, I missed the first bit. The burglars were after the professor's stock of pills. Oh, quite. We also have Benjamin Whitrow uh, appears, who, speaking of Tales of the Unexpected, he was the washed-up actor that we discussed. In uh, What Have You Been Up To Lately? Uh, then we see the, for the second time this episode, we see the Thames television logo, yeah. which always fascinated me when I was little. So we see the... the the Thames television logo in its rightful place at the beginning of the episode, but then Jack is watching a canister of film that he's recovered, which is a documentary about Professor Busby, mm. and it has the um, the Thames television logo at the beginning as well, which begs the question, in the universe of the Sweeney, what's on when the Sweeney's on for the rest of us? Or do they go home and watch it? Probably that documentary he, that, that Jack was watching. Oh, it could be, couldn't it? That would be um, mm. that would cause some kind of rift in the time-space continuum. It would a bit. Oh, I tell you one thing we haven't uh, discussed yet, which is probably quite important, is what the name the Sweeney actually means. I presume it's a it's Cockney rhyming slang. Yes. So it's Sweeney, Sweeney Todd. Todd. Flying Squad. Oh, right, OK. No, I, I, that, that makes more sense. For some reason, Amazon have... have edited the end of part one beginning of part two bits that are, are in like the the normal dvd releases and stuff but the little the little cards that say end of part one etc yeah it's like a blue screen and it's got in block letters in the background sweeney todd flying squad sweeney todd flying squad so ah, that would have cleared it up for me so that would have easily cleared it up I came to a different conclusion, but yours makes more sense. Yours is a bit less round the houses than mine. I, I got uh, Sweeney Todd, the plod. No. No, because they're not the plod. Because the plod are, no, the, no, um, no, are, they're the, the, are the uniform coppers. Which also rhymes with Todd. It does. This is, where, this is where a little chap like me gets confused. So they could also have done a show called The Sweeney about just uniform coppers on the beat, plodding around. Hey, yeah. quick, Scarper, it's the plod. You, see, you can see why they picked me to play a villain in the bill, can't you? I can. Oi, quick, Scarper, it's the plod. Yeah, I, uh, oof, chills. <laughs> I feel so threatened right now. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in the presence of Olivier. Exactly like that. John Olivier. John Olivier, he's down the road. a window cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> they, what's a dab? Is that fingerprints? They keep mentioning dabs. Yes. Is that fingerprints? Okay. I'm very middle class. You are so middle class. <laughs> Their investigation uh, takes them to the theatre where, I mean, it's, I mean, calling it a theatre is really quite quite an overstatement. It's like a community hall. Looks like a leisure centre. Where Morecambe and Wise are. Um, George meets a lot of dancing girls and turns into Jack from the previous episode. It's like, honestly... That they all they all wander past, and all he says is, "I would, I would, I would, I would, I would." Has he never seen a woman before? I don't. I don't think he has. Well, I mean, obviously he has because in the uh, in in the first series he's married. Oh, yes, it's true. It's true. Um, she is. She's killed in uh, oh dear. one of the first series episodes. It's it is. It's really really sad. So yes, uh, he is actually he's actually a widower this point oh dear poor old george poor old george whoops, there's nothing george, wrong george, in his life george apart from all george, those times. Whoops. george george whoops george 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 thank you <laughs> thank you thank you eric and ernie are amazing in this yes yeah would, would would eric and ernie be playing a venue like that in 1978 i, I know like you, a, 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 i can't imagine the albert hall or something <laughs> not the lakeside leisure center <laughs> No, I know, I know. It's it's so weird. There's not even any rake seating. I know. 
I know, it's the most bizarre thing. Mm. Um, Seats about 50 people. Just so, so odd. Um, but they have a little bit of a chat backstage to themselves in their little dressing room. <laughs> They're always on, aren't they? <laughs> They're always on. And it, it it does kind of become a little bit of a, a Markham and Wise bingo because Eric does come out with a lot of their repertoire. What do you think <laughs> he of his own Rubbish! Um, <laughs> Arsenal! <laughs> my favourite was when he sits down and looks in the mirror and goes, Oh, I've been in this job too long. Look at that face. I'm only 28. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it was bless. nearly serious. They nearly played it serious for a moment, but he had to get the gag in. What do you think of it so far? Rubbish! <laughs> You're not far off. You know, we were a tough audience tonight. Title to be, it was full of foreigners out there. Yeah? There's only four Englishmen, and three of them were wearing kilts. What happened to the other one? I threw him out. He didn't have any clothes on at all. <laughs> hey, what? Is that me looking back at me in there? I'm afraid so. Oh, fire on this here. Show business is easy. Look at that face. I'm only 28. Come in. Excuse me, boys, but there's two plainclothes coppers at the stage door. Ask her to see you for a few minutes. It's about that book. It's not. Borrowed it. Well, okay, tell them to hang on a couple of minutes while I put the dressing gowns on, eh? Okay. They, they certainly made a decision in that. They could have, like, shown what it was really like backstage and, like, the the, the lonely, unglamorous lives of performers. Or, or they could just do a Morecambe and Wise routine, except not on stage. So they decided to go for that instead. I think that was a really wise decision, actually. Yeah. I don't think anybody would, would want to see Morecambe and Wise looking lonely. It would be awful. They might have actually just been like that all the time and they would just find them really tiring. Like, please stop. I feel like they were like that all the time though weren't they i think eric might have been yeah from contemporary sort of reports keep going you fool there were only four englishmen three of them were in kilts <laughs> what about the other one checked him out it wasn't wearing any at all <laughs> uh so they're in the middle of doing their sketch just between themselves <laughs> and <laughs> and then jack and george knock on the door mm-hmm. and this this particular moment for me is just amazing because you see how big of a fangirl Dennis Waterman is. <laughs> He's delighted, isn't he? <laughs> He's thrilled. He try he tries to stay in character. He tries so hard, but he can't. He's giggling like a schoolboy <laughs> every time Eric opens his mouth. He loves him. Can you imagine being in that? Because it's, it's a very small room. They're in this tiny dressing room. But they're right in the door of a tiny dressing room. So the four of them are really crammed in tight there. Yeah. And th- that would just be the best thing ever. It really would. And um, you can you can see. You can see it's both Dennis and George's favourite moment of their lives. <laughs> Hi, Eric. Come in and lie down. This is Ernie. He's with the Interpol. Oh, yes, how do you? I'm Detective Inspector Regan. Oh, yes. This is my colleague. Colombo, I've seen him. Gets a headache in the films. He goes, what's about that? Detective idea? Sergeant Col- um, Carter. Ah. We're from Scotland Yard. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah, Scotland Yard. Yes. Well, I won't, uh, won't take up any more time in than is necessary. You're leaving, are you? Well, it's been a pleasure knowing <laughs> you. Yes. <laughs> I'll get straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, would yeah. you like a drink, boys? Have a drink. Uh, not for me, thank you. No, no, no. What about Colombo? Oh. Yeah, I will. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, 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 yes, I'll get a scotch. Lovely. Thanks. Oh, do you want uh, water or soda? No, no, nothing, thanks. Don't want to ruin a good whiskey. Oh. <laughs> if he's having one, I might as well join him. Oh, yes, you've got a buck off, have you? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't yes, want to shock him, you know. <laughs> I'll get it. There you are. Cheers. There you are. Help yourself. Oh, right. How's that? This is good, isn't it? Nice. Jack tries to be more sort of, hmm, yes, well, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only here to ask some questions. But even he's a bit like, <laughs> hi. <laughs> like... These these two badass policemen who take down bad guys for a living are confronted with Mark and Wilde and they just turn into a pair of giggling wrecks. It's a beautiful thing. You would, wouldn't you? I know I would. Yes, I would. And they, they get randomly interrupted by a drag artist who Eric helps to get into his dressing gown. George and Jack are really bemused. But Eric's just like, oh, there you go, love. I just feel like Eric would be like that to everybody and like not get phased at all by anything like that. In the 70s, I would say probably even even more than an interracial relationship, seeing a chap in ladies' clothes would be really controversial. Morecambe and Wise just do what Morecambe and Wise do best and just a lovely and kind and welcoming 
and don't treat anybody any differently, which I think I think we should all be more more common wise like. We should, yes. We should all do that little trick with the paper bag. <laughs> which my dad used to do. <laughs> it's it's a good one. It is, yeah. And and also more common wise and he's like, Is Nick my dad's gag? <laughs> we should add like, yep, that's right, I came up with that. They mm, they nicked yeah. it off me. Yeah, uh, I sent that in. Mm. But it's quite. This is quite surreal. Morecambe and Wise turning up in Sweeney, mm. and the fact that it's Morecambe. I mean, had it been like Little and Large or Cannon and Ball, that would have been a bit weird. But it wouldn't have been because they're not legendary. No, it's more like Laurel and Hardy turning up in a police procedural. It's like these two sort of iconic mythical characters. Yeah, and they just turn up like. Oh yes, but we, we make it we make it rain like this. Hmm. It was because John Thor and Dennis Waterman, obviously huge Malcolm and Wise fans, and they really, really wanted to be on the Malcolm and Wise show. And Malcolm and Wise said, Yeah, sure, you can you can be on our show so long as we can be on yours. So John and Dennis were in the Christmas special, I think nineteen seventy seven. It was a, a World War Two sketch, wasn't it? And then Malcolm and Wise were in this episode. So it was all very nice and civilised. The thing I really liked in this episode is when they were doing the little sketch kit together in the little backstage thing. Ernie's the one who does like a whole routine to himself. He does about what the, the police say when every time they come in. Uh, about what the police say because, the, the re- you know, everybody wants them to do the police concert and Ernie does an impression of what, what it is that they're going to say. And it turns out that... You know, George and Jack do say most of those things, but Ernie properly goes for it, and because because obviously he's 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 normally the slightly more straight man, but he's there doing his bit, and Eric's just killing himself laughing. Do us a favour, boys. The super's a big fan of yours, and it's all the booze you can drink. Can I get two more glasses? Because you know what the drink like. Oh, not for me, thank you, sir. I'm on duty. Perhaps my colleague would like one. He's got a bit of a cold coming on. Ah. And then again, if he's having one, I might as well have one. I don't want to shop him. Do you want uh, soda or water? Uh, just as it is, sir. <laughs> don't want to ruin a good whiskey. That's the best you've worked for months. Do you think? Have a lie down. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> I love the fact that Ernie makes Eric laugh so much because I think Ernie gets such a lot of bad press as being like the least funny one, but he's not. It's just that Eric is more. Eric. Eric is just more. He's more calm. He is. He is. See, he could have made that funny. He could have, but we're we're not him. No, sadly. There is a secret scouser. Oh, is there? It's been a while since we've had a secret scouser. We haven't heard, yes. Been a while since we've had a secret scouser. This week's secret scouser is Gene Boat. Oh, yes, of course. I wrote down Gene Boat. Yes, from your favourite sitcom. Well, certainly a sitcom. (laughs) <laughs> gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta grab the world by throwing show. Um, yeah. Anyone would think you were a fan. <laughs> she makes cameo as a nosy neighbour. She does, yeah. It took me a little while to recognise her. She's like, she looks familiar. That looks a bit like Jean Boat, but it can't be. But it is. I'm surprised you haven't railed against uh, bread. You're keeping your powder dry. Yeah, I am a little bit. Okay. <laughs> you know you know how I feel about Carla Lane. I do. We just won't we just won't go there. Simmering fury. Yeah. Oh, certainly not any certainly not any type of scouse that I associate myself with. Um oh dear. <laughs> just just no, just uh, uh, right. <laughs> the episode before she goes off to work, um, the professor gives Wendy the last little lot of pills. He says he's destroyed all the rest of them, but for insurance, he wants her to keep the last lot. So he gives her a little file of tablets. And she goes back, she goes to work and she hides them in the ventriloquist dummy that Markham and Wise use in their sketch. So by the time the baddies come along and they you know, ransack the flat. He's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, oh, you mean those pills? Oh, well, they're at the lab. And they say, huh, I don't think they are. I think they're with your girlfriend. You've got a girlfriend. Uh, girl germs. <laughs> That's gross. 
Yes. So they go off. They go off to the leisure centre. Lakeside. To find Wendy and the tablets, more importantly. But unfortunately, they're on stage when they get there. The pills are on stage in Eric Morecambe's pocket because he finds them in the back of the ventriloquist dummy and he thinks, oh, I'll have some oh of that's them. not meant to be in there. I'll have them. Yeah. Yeah. And then as soon as they get off the stage, it all starts happening. The baddies have got a gun to Wendy's head. They make her talk, tell them where the pills are. She's like, oh, I'm going to tell you. And then they're like, tell us or we'll shoot you. And then the professor's like, tell them or we'll shoot you. So she's like, oh, I've, I've hidden them. And then Eric's like, oh, no, they're not there. I've got them here. Look, everybody, I'm... <laughs> brandishing these pills that clearly are quite important to somebody who has a gun. And, and they, they turn on him and he pulls the best face ever. It's a shame he this is an audio does. podcast only because <laughs> the face that Eric Morgan pulls. And he kind of waggles his jaw up and down as well. We're going to have to get like a screen cap and put it on Twitter, I think, <laughs> I think probably. So. And I d- is it him that lets out the high-pitched scream or is it her? Is it someone else? But it sort of syncs up. This high-pitched shriek syncs up with him pulling his face. Let's just say it's Eric. Oh, what's the matter? We must get the police, quick! But what have they got against Charlie? Please look at the pills! They haven't. I have. Yeah, I think it might be him. So they have like a proper Keystone Cops type chase through the backstage area, which then leads into the car park. And of course, because naturally, Eric, Ernie and Wendy all escape in a fish van. They steal a fish lorry. That's right, folks. A fish van. Well, it's a fish truck. It's it's a flatbed, flatbed truck full of fresh fish in crates. So they're being pursued. Yes, this is very important. They're being chased down the road by the villains. Ernie is driving. Mm. They've got Wendy in the front. And Mm. is it Wendy suggests that he should climb out onto the back? No, Eric does. No, not Eric. Ernie does. Ernie. Ernie Ernie suggests that Eric should climb out, go onto the back of this flatbed truck. And what does Uh, Eric say? uh, I can't remember. This boy's a fool. (laughs) Yes, but he does it anyway. Yes. So he starts throwing crates. Eric Morecambe... (laughs) <laughs> does some chase. epic stunt work here to climb sense. onto the back of an already moving uh, flatbed truck. Probably not him in the long shots. Never mind, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so he climbs onto the back of the thing and starts flinging crate loads of fresh fish at the baddies. I mean, I'm not even making it up. No, it sounds like something you would... Did I dream there was an episode of The Sweeney in which Eric Morkham was throwing fish at the villains? Looking on in the background is... Is poor old Jack just face palming? So Morecambe and Weiss actually save that. It's not just a cameo, like you say. They actually save the day. They cause they save the villains the day. to slide on all the ice from the fish. The baddies get caught. The Professor and Wendy have a couple of smooches. Yes, the baddies don't get mown down in gunfire in this episode because that would probably be tonally inappropriate. <laughs> yes. It all ends, obviously, with a joke. As if we haven't had enough jokes already. <laughs> no, exactly. Eric and Ernie say, is there anything we can do for you? And George says, well, what are you doing on the 25th of this month? And they both roll their eyes uh-huh. quite dramatically and say, a police concert? <laughs> it says the Sweeney. Yeah, that's right. That's it, the end. Those are both of the episodes. We did so well getting through them. My fa- my favourite thing about the show is definitely just the chemistry between John Thor and Dennis Waterman. I just think they have they have a great, great relationship. You can tell it's it's real, it's not just sort of like a, a likely lad style. <laughs> yes, that's the one I always bring up when as to contrast. <laughs> yeah. The, the like, yeah, yeah, they they actually they actually did like each other, so yeah, phew. <laughs> uh would you watch Sweeney again? I would, yes. It's one of those things, like if, like the professionals, if it was on TV, I'd go, oh, this is nice, pleasant watching. It's a good, you know, it's all, I can eat my lunch, spend an hour watching this and not be too stressed out by the end of it. One of the reasons I tend not to watch much modern TV is not because it's bad. It, in fact, the exact opposite. I will just tend to watch eight episodes in one day and become addicted and not do anything else and have a headache. Ah, uh, yes. I have no Same. self-control, so I tend to watch shows with less effective cliffhangers or standalone episodes that I don't have to watch eight episodes and go, oh, my eyes have stopped working. Yes. Mm. 
Like like the way we watched Ghosts all in one go. Pretty much, yes. I genuinely thought you'd be kind of rocking in the corner going, I hate you, Wainwright! Um, <laughs> I'm still not sure what aspect of it you thought I would really object to. I, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I was just I I always get paranoid, but I think this this time I was slightly more paranoid than usual. Um but yes, there you go. I'm really glad. I'm, I'm really glad Good. that I was so horribly wrong. very much for watching Sweeney with me it was a joy to share it with you and thank you everybody for listening in it, it's really really nice to be back um, it's been a while but hopefully uh, we will start being a little bit more regular with our episodes if you would like to get in touch with us you are more than welcome to we always love hearing from you uh, our twitter account is at retro underscore tube or if you would rather email us, you can do that if you want. You can do that. That's entirely up to you. Our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. We're pretty good at getting back to people. So, uh, you know, give it a whirl. See what happens. And, um, yeah, those are all the words from me. Would you like to at least have the last word? He'll never sell any ice cream going at that speed. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, the delivery. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I've got it. I've got, I've got what it takes. I know. I could be the next Eric Malcolm. This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almondby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almondby. He went for two weeks, and no one has seen him in six months. The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wazilowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Denink Books, priced at ten ninety nine. Look for the pink and white cover.